I hear the sound. Anybody hear the sound this morning? Look at someone, at least look at 24 people and say, I hear the sound. Yeah? Go on, look at them. 24, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I hear, come on, tell them I hear them. Don't look at me, look at them. I hear the sound. Come on, let's stir it up. I hear the sound. And the sound we hear is the sound of the abundance of rain. And that means so many different things. It means a, an outpouring of God. It means a move of the church. It means so many things. And we're going to carry on today with our series from Elijah, um, which I'm really enjoying. Anybody enjoying it? I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I'm getting challenged by it. I mean, dear God, I heard this earlier in the week. It's a good one. <laughs> I've heard it twice this week already and once this morning. So it's like, wow, this is good stuff. Thank you, Lord. So we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 18 from verse 1 all the way down to 18, but I'm not reading the whole chunk. We're going to go through, ver- you know, just little bits by little bits. Um, so we're going to start at verse 1, good place to start. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Something we're finding out is that almost every time we encounter this man, Elijah, uh, it says the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. The word of God spoke. And again, um, you know, every week you're going to hear this pretty much. And that is, let's make sure we're hungry to hear the voice of God. Amen? So, you know, prayer is not just me talking to God, but it's me coming into God's presence, lifting him high, enthroning him, crowned with many crowns, and then pouring my heart out to God, and God pouring his heart out to me. This is a dialogue. Amen? This is where we hear the voice of God. The Bible says we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Now, we're taking this pretty much chronologically through his, his not his whole life, because we only know a three and a half year period of the life of Elijah. And um, it was only just the last little bit that we read that it's back at the time when he said to Ahab, the king at that time, there shall not be dew nor rain except at my word, then he turns around and he goes, he goes to the brook and the brook dries up. You know the story, we were here, you know, we've heard about this the last few weeks. And then there was that incredible provision of God through the, you know, the, the oil didn't run dry and the, and the jar of flour was not used up. That was all back in the first few days and, and you know, the first few time that we um, see here of Elijah. But now here we are three years later. And there isn't anything in the Bible as to what really happens in those three years. And sometimes we think, and you know, because we just go through the Bible, we think everything happens almost every day. Well, yesterday had an encounter with God, another one today, another one tomorrow. But there's a three year gap. Now, I'm sure there was a lot of things going on, but I tell you what was going on was Elijah was walking with God day in, day out. The fact that there wasn't anything to really write down in the Bible does not mean, oh, there's not much going on. No, this is a daily walk with God. And there are highlights. And this one was, you know, perhaps in year one, then again in year three. And, you know, perhaps there wasn't another one for another 10 years. But there are these Christians around who seem to be um, addicts and sort of event, sort of, you know, inject me with another event. Hello? Another another event, another this. No, the Christian life is primarily a day-to-day walk with Jesus Christ. Where we just, we just do the same old, same old. And it's not boring, it's not dead. It's a life with Jesus Christ. And it's exciting, but it's marked with these incredible interventions of God that turn our world upside down. And I want to encourage you today, just keep on doing what you need to do. But how long do I have to stand, Pastor Jay? As long as it takes. Well, how long's that? As long as you stand. <laughs> See, some people, they put these little you know, things on God. God, unless you do it by next week, I'm giving up. <laughs> no, we stand and having done all to stand, stand. Amen? Yeah. We stand. We stand. The lives in the Bible are lifetimes in the Bible that are marked with this, this, you know, God does something there and God does something there. And in between, all these inc- 
incredible events is faithful Christian living. And that's why the events happen, because he's been faithful for three years. Is, is this all right? Should we talk about someone else? Is this okay? Fantastic. I just thought we were on the same page. That's fantastic. In the third year, the word of God comes to him and says, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Now we know that it was three years earlier. He said, there won't be any more rain until I say so. And then he goes on. So now God's saying, you go, now's the time. Now's the time for this thing to turn around. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now you've got to remember, Ahab really hates Elijah. He hates him. He wants him dead. So does his wife, uh, Jezebel. And it says there was a severe famine in Samaria. Now we go down to verse 7. Now... As Obadiah, Obadiah was a prophet, a godly man, but he was under the control of Ahab. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah comes up to Obadiah and he sees him and he goes, he says he falls on his face and says, is that you Elijah? My Lord Elijah, probably hasn't seen him for three years. Is that you Elijah? And Elijah said, it is I. Go and tell your king, the master, Elijah is here. Everybody say Elijah is here. So go and tell Ahab, I've turned up. Elijah's here. Now that's in verse 7. And after that, for a few verses, Obadiah starts to panic. He starts thinking, I'm going to go up to Ahab and tell him his enemy's here. The one he hates, the one he wants dead. And there's a whole thing that goes on. Obadiah says, what are you doing this for? Why me? <laughs> Why do I need to go up to the king? I'll lose my head over this. Verse 13, just at the end of it. He said, didn't anybody tell you that I, I hid the prophets? I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave. I fed them. And now you say, go speak to Ahab. Go and tell him that Elijah's here. He's going to kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives... I love this. Every other time we read about Elijah, he's saying, as surely as the Lord your God lives, as surely as the Lord lives. But now he brings in this wonderful name of God and it's Jehovah Sabaoth. And he says, it's the Lord of hosts, the captain of the army. And I don't know what you're going to face this year. You may you know, be facing something that wants to wipe you out, wipe out your business, wipe out your marriage, wipe out your family, wipe out your finances, wipe out your health life. But I want to tell you every step of the way, the Lord, the captain of the hosts is walking with you. And whatever you face this year, you are going to be victorious over whatever it is. He's not just the captain. He's the captain of the armies. He's not just the healer. He's the God who has triumphed over sickness and defeat and poverty and rejection. He is almighty God and he's going to walk with you every step of the way. Can I hear an amen this morning? He's Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He said, God's going to go with you, the captain of the armies. He said, before whom I stand, I will present myself before Elijah today. So Obadiah goes to meet Ahab and he tells him, and Ahab comes out to meet Elijah. Now, I don't know if he came out and hit some snipers in the bushes. I don't know, but he, he hates Elijah. You've got to understand this. As far as Ahab is concerned, Elijah is the problem. He's caused the drought. He's caused the famine. He's caused the mess in the nation. Three years, as far as Ahab is concerned, is all Elijah's fault. And Elijah's been gone for three years, and now he's come back. Ahab is getting stirred up, and no wonder he comes out to meet him. And he says, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, you troubler? <coughs> Excuse me. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Verse 18, Elijah says, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord, you followed the Baals, and now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. Now I know we all want to get to Mount Carmel. That's where the fire falls. Okay, for, for you know, believe it. Oh, let the fire fall. <laughs> we all want, anybody want to get to Mount Carmel in this? Yeah, but we're not going there for a few weeks, all right? So you're just going to have to hang in there. There's a lot to happen between now and Mount Carmel. All right? 
But he says, I want you to get all these prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal, all the occult bunch, the 400 prophets of Asherah um, who eat at your wife's table. Um, I want you to all meet me on Mount Carmel. And, that, and that's going to be an exciting week. The fire's going to fall, the, the building's going to shake, angels are going to fly around. We're going to have an amazing time in, in this place. But, but today I want to talk about something that I believe is absolutely vital and is something at the very heart of who we know Elijah to be. I want to talk, uh, uh, speak to us today about our confidence in God. Our confidence in God. Um, there's a whole load today about we need to develop self-confidence. So that's not what I'm talking about, self-confidence. I'm talking about confidence in God. In God. The Bible's really clear that we crucify self in order that the life of God can work through us. So we're talking about confidence in God. Not a lot's happened, as I've said, for three years in in this passage, in this account. There's drought, there's famine, and there's a very angry Jezebel and a very upset Ahab. And so I think it's really interesting what happens in this passage and just how incredibly confident Elijah is. Now, we know his confidence comes from God. We know his confidence comes from prayer. The Bible actually um, you know, has him as the example over in the... Uh, in uh, James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah's a man like us, and he prayed. And so it really gives us the example of Elijah in the Old Testament as a man who knows how to pray. So we know that that's where his confidence is coming from. That's where his intimacy with God is coming from. And just to say as well, our prayer meetings in this place in the last couple of weeks have just been off the chart. And if you've not been able to be here, I really want to encourage you and again, I know I can talk, you know, I can talk big and all this sort of stuff. But really, in 30 years of leading prayer meetings, longer than that, actually, um, I, I, there is something going on in the prayer meetings in this place. It's so great to see this place absolutely packed, hardly any space. You know, somebody said at the start of the last prayer meeting, just after I'd finished, you know, speaking, they came straight down the front and said, "I'm getting my spot because there's no room in this building." And he's like, he came and he said, this is mine. Stay out of my prayer space. And if you've not been coming to the prayer meetings for work or whatever, that's fine. Please pray at home. We're fasting and praying. But if you're able to be here, please do everything you can. Uh, because God is moving. There is, there, there is no doubt. And I believe God's calling us to pray for some pretty big things as we move on into 2020. Um, But that's exciting. So obviously he's a man of prayer. He's got a relationship with God. But there are three things that I really want to talk about um, as we become people who are confident in God. Is that okay? So you ready for this? Got your catches out? Got your seatbelts on? Okay, number one, which is vitally important, which is at the very heart of this passage, is this. We got to face up to the issue. See, God spoke to Elijah and said, go and meet Ahab face to face. He didn't say send him a text. He didn't say send him an email. He didn't say put something out on Facebook. We go in there this morning, all right? He said, come on, go and meet the problem. Go and face it face to face. There's something about face to face which is absolutely vital. The Christian life is a life of face-to-face. Face-to-face in our relationships. Face-to-face in how we deal with things. Face-to-face with conflict issues. Face-to-face with encouraging people. Face-to-face. Now, I know we live in a generation that has gone away from face-to-face and people don't know how to relate to something. They don't know how to do relationship even. Relationship seems to be through Facebook. People get married just because they have a great Facebook you know, thing going on and get married and wonder why the marriage is a challenge because it was all encouraging on Facebook. I look my best on Facebook. Look at me, all dolled up. Sharon sees my Facebook and her knees go weak. I mean, I I see Sharon's Facebook page and I go, what is this angel that I have married for the last 33 years? 
But we, you know, we're in this false relationship type thing. And we often, you know, we try to bring it in to our Christianity. And, you know, the Bible says, come on, go and face up to the issue. You know, don't put the envelope in the bottom drawer. Open it up and see what it says. Hello? Let's face up to the things that God wants to address this year. Face up to them. Can I go a little bit further? That anger problem that you're wrestling with, stop pretending like it doesn't matter and face it. That lust problem that's going on and when no one's watching, you're there on the internet. Let's face up to it this year. Hello? I'm just going to be really straight. Is that okay? Go face Ahab. Go face the problem. That unforgiveness thing that's been holding you captive for the last 10 years because of what he did to you. Come on. Let's go there this year. Let's face the fact. You see, God said to Elijah, he didn't just say stay at home and pray and everything will be okay. He said, go and face Ahab. Go and deal with with the problem, there's an expression in the business world, swallow the frog. Which means the biggest issue you have today, do it first thing. Do it first thing. Everything else will be easy for the rest of your day. I don't know about you, but when I got something to face and I'm, I'm perhaps a bit concerned about it, or I, don't, I just don't like confrontation anyway, I hate it. And it's like, oh, just put it away, put it away, I'll deal with it tomorrow, I'll deal with it next week, I'll deal with it. And it's, you know, there can be a little bit of I'll deal with it, God, I'll just pray over it, you can deal with it for me. <laughs> Hello? Come on, nudge someone, say he's talking to you this morning, yeah? Come on. Face it. Face it. Think of all the army under the trees and out comes Goliath for 40 days. Every day, cursing God, cursing the the children of Israel. They're not facing up to it. They're under the tree going, oh, you know what? God will send us a deliverer. And up comes David, little shepherd boy, 14 years old, 15 years old. Comes up with the cheese and the bread to, to feed his family. And he goes, no one facing up to this. No one's dealing with this. Come on, somebody, isn't there anybody here that's going to man up? Can I say that? I don't know if that's PC anymore. Is going to man up, is going to stir something up, is going to face the issue. Not just keep pretending it's not there. Let's face the issue. So they faced up to the fact that there was an issue. We don't live our lives hiding behind a facade. We don't live our lives just behind an idea or an image. Have you ever seen those photographs? I know they did this in the youth a couple of years ago, and it was hilarious. And there are these fantastic, glossy photographs, wonderful photographs of, you know, somebody on the beach, and it was, they're in Hawaii, and you see their feet and the sand, and then you see the real photograph. It pans out, and they're on a building site standing on a pile of building sand. Ever seen that? Yeah, you've seen them. And then there's another one of somebody in the the grass and they're leaning there and it's all beautiful and lovely. And they're on the side of a pavement in the grass and and the whole situation is ugly. Ugly. And yet the little bit of their life they want to show you looks beautiful. If I was speaking to pastors of churches today, and I've done a lot of that over the years, and we want to encourage so many pastors go through, my church is not like everybody else's church. We actually have some pastoral issues. But if you look at that church, oh, it's wonderful, because Facebook tells me it is. Hello? Everybody else's family. Everybody else's family is wonderful. Nobody, I, you know, if you come to my house, you come to my house, you got to be careful. 
When I open the front door, the glory of God's going to hit you. I tell you, it just, boom. In fact, you know, the doorbell goes, the knocker goes, and it's like, you know, somebody's delivering Amazon's round or ASOS, the kids are, or whatever they're into, and all this stuff. Everything's delivered today, isn't it? So we have delivery men. There's a line of them outside our house. They're always queuing up. And I always open the little, um, in in the box, and I say, now, are you ready? I'm going to open the door. Are you holding on? Because when I open this door, tell you what, God's going to move. And we open the door and there's just whoom, like a Benny Hinn moment. Whoom, and everybody's on the floor because the house is filled with the glory of God. When my kids come down in the morning, they go, oh, mother, mother, wonderful mummy. Oh, you look radiant this morning. Thank you so much for making my school lunch. Oh, mummy, is there anything? I'll fill the dishwasher for you. I'll do the hoovering for you. It's just, this is the Melfi household. This is it. It's a wonderful, wonderful environment. Because everybody else's life is like that, except for ours. Why? Because we believe the facade. Anybody getting anything here today? You see, all of us are just like the rest of us. God never intended for us to live our lives behind a mask of inferiority. Or a mask of regret, a mask of shame, self-doubt. God's ordained us to live lives full of confidence that comes from knowing God and knowing who God has made us to be. But we got to face the Ahabs in our lives and we got to face the Ahabs around us. And I love Elijah's confidence. God said, go and see Ahab. And he just got straight up. He walked out there. He found Obadiah and said, tell Ahab, Elijah's here. Tell him, I've arrived. I've turned up. The solution to the problem has arrived on the scene. You see, as we live our everyday lives, every situation we walk into, we turn up. God turns up. The promises of God turns up. The word of God turns up. The power of God turns up simply because you and I have turned up. It's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. When I, t- I turn it up into every situation and on the inside something says, Melfi is here. Yes. Not out of arrogance. Out of a confidence that says, I know who I am in God. I know who he is in me and I know what he said to me and I know what he wants to fulfill in my life and no circumstance can defeat me. Death couldn't hold him down. Death ain't going to hold me down. Unbelief couldn't keep him back. Unbelief is not going to keep me back. I'm going to walk into every situation with a confidence to stand up and boldly to Uh, to declare whether it's to sickness healing has turned up whether it's to lack and insufficiency prosperity has turned up whether it's confusion and upset the wisdom of God has turned up when there's a storm in the building the peace of God has turned up in Jesus name Elijah is here Elijah is here see we got to face up and turn up it takes courage to confront your enemies (laughs) It takes courage to confront your fears. It takes courage to confront your doubts. It takes courage to confront your regrets. But you get that courage from the presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Can I hear an amen this morning? Okay, number two. Number two. You ready for this one? Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. Our environments talk back to us. They talk to us all the time. Whether it's the fig tree saying there's no fruit here. (coughs) Excuse me. Whatever it is, our environments talk back to us. Ahab immediately, when he, um, um, he saw Elijah, immediately he said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? But it didn't take a second for Elijah to turn around and said, I'm not the problem, you're the problem. I'm not the problem, you're the problem. And if there's something that I've learned over many years is this. When you know who you are in God and you declare that thing, the enemy's going to turn it around and come straight back at you. Come straight back at you. The enemy is an accuser. 
He accuses. That's his job. He accuses. When the enemy says, you're defeated, you can turn that straight round and say, no, you're defeated. (laughs) You need to know how to confront the accusations of the enemy. Everything the devil says against you is something that he has not overcome himself. When he turns up and says, you're hopeless, Melfi. I say, no, don't get me started. You're hopeless. You've got no future. When the enemy comes in and says, you're rejected. Say, no, come on. You're the rejected one. I'm not talking about to people. I'm talking about to the accuser. We've got to know how to turn around the accusations of the enemy. When he turns up and he starts you know, to declare and accuse over your life, you're defenseless. You're not victorious. You're defenseless. You can turn around and say no. The Bible says when Jesus was raised from the dead, he stripped off your life the armor in which you trusted. I'm, I'm full of the armor of God. I'm clothed with the glory of God. I'm not the defenseless one. You're the defenseless one. See, how do you handle the accusations of the enemy? There are so many people who are giving more attention to the lies of the enemy than they are to the promises of God. And I want to encourage you today, listen to the first voice. I talked about this last week. The first voice. The first voice says you're victorious. The second voice says you're not victorious. But we've got to learn how to turn around that accusation. We are not what the world says. You're not what the world says. You're not what your parents said. In Jesus' name. You're not what the devil says. He will always accuse. The main way he keeps... Christians bound is by accusing them of something so often he's caused them to do. Did you get that? But we're not who he says we are. We are who God says we are. And these are the things which need to be going through our minds. You see, Christians who have a wrong self-image live defeated lives. They see themselves how the world sees them. They see themselves how the enemy sees them. They see themselves how their unrenewed sort of mind sees them. There are so many films I love. I love to watch good, good films that, you know, really build you up and really just, you know, can do films. I watch a lot of true stories. We watched one last night, actually, about a, a guy who survived on a mountain for eight days at minus six, minus 20. Most amazing thing. Gave his life to the Lord in the process and now goes around preaching to people. But incredible things. It's a secular film. But there are so many films that, that really stir me up. Coach Carter. Anybody seen Coach Carter? I mean, what a film. What an amazing film. And then other ones, Freedom... Um, Freedom Writers. Brilliant, brilliant film. True story. There's so many films out there and about how, how somebody comes in and says, you don't have to live like this. But all of them argue. They all come back. They've all got this attitude. Why? Because their parents had the attitude and their grandparents had the attitude. All the other school teachers have the attitude. The town has the attitude. The environment has the attitude, which is basically this. Nothing good can come out of this place. So often in these films, you know, true stories, and they, and they say, none of my parents, none of my family have ever been to college. And they laugh at the teachers when they say, I believe you can get to college. (laughs) You must be joking. None of us have ever been to college. They're wearing this identity as though it's something God-given. It's not God-given. They're wearing this mentality that says nothing good can come out of this because I'm poor. Nothing good can come out of this because I'm Hispanic. Nothing good can come out of this because we live in this town or this city. Or I'm, I'm, I'm going to some films in my mind. Nothing good can come out of this because nobody ever gives us anything. Is it, can, I, can I go there this morning? Nothing good 
can come out of here. And it's because they've been drip-fed and they're trapped by their own expectation of failure. Their own expectation that nothing good can come because. There's always justified reasons because of this and because of that. And that's proof nothing good can ever happen here. And that reminds me of Jesus himself. He was in his own town and he said, you know, this is a paraphrase. He said, I'll heal you and I'll set you free. And they said, who do you think you are? We know who you are. You're from Nazareth. You're one of us. Nothing good comes from here. And he said he marveled at their unbelief. And then there was another account because of how people saw his environment. And there was Philip speaking to Nathaniel. He said, come and find the man who's just amazing. I think he, I think he could be the saviour of the world. And he said, where's he from? And, you know, Philip says, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel sort of goes, what? <laughs> saviour from Nazareth? You must be joking. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. That's what everybody else thought about Nazareth, but it's what they thought about themselves. See, as we face up to some stuff this year, perhaps it's some attitudes that I can't because. It won't because. I've got to cope with this sickness because it's, it's, it's in my genes, handed down by my parents. Not my fault, but it's just, part, it's just my lot in life. Nothing good can come out of here. If you spend your life believing you are worthless, how can you ever worship a God who thought you were worth dying for? What you believe is what you're going to be trapped in. So many times God cannot do what he wants to do in our lives because we won't believe anything good can come from us. Oh, God can heal the sick, but I'm not the lands on the sick and they recover. It's just me. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, God can meet everybody's needs, but I'm just, I'm just going to be a hand-to-mouth person for the rest of my life. Hello? Yeah. It's very quiet in this place. Yeah. The first service, they were jumping on the chairs and swinging. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's dust everywhere. They were climbing up here on the rafters and dust was falling down. It's amazing. What do you believe in about yourself, which is meaning that Jesus himself can't do many mighty works? Oh, man. I don't care what your reputation was, what it has been, what your environment is. But Pastor Jay, I can't because. And I'm all for pushing boundaries and, and stuff, but there are, you know, so many people. I can't because I'm a single mum. I can't because I'm not educated. I can't because, well, I've got this issue. I can't because, well, it's just always been in my family. And people live with this justified in their own minds, chip on their shoulder, victim. I can't because I'm a victim. Nobody ever gives me anything. If they gave me something, I'd have something to work with. No, you're starting on the wrong premise. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Yes, it can in Jesus' name. The saviour of the world can come from Nazareth. Pull down the barriers. Let the doors break open. I think it's very sad that we still have so many limitations in our lives, in our society, in our community. Don't turn them into an opportunity to be a victim. Turn them into an opportunity to prove that I can do all things through God who gives me strength. I can do all things. Whatever situation, Elijah is here. Murphy is here. In Jesus' name. Elijah walked in with confidence even though he came from a place. He was a Tishbite. Tishbite. Do you know what that word means? Do you know what the mentality of the town was? It means to be held captive, to be held a prisoner. That was the mentality of the town. We're just 
all held captive here. We're prisoners here. No one can break out. No one can be different. No one can succeed. We're just prisoners. No one can be free because we're all captive. <laughs> we're all captive. Talk about a, a mentality of a city being like bad. <laughs> That's the place of captivity. Oh, you don't want to live there. Nothing good comes out of there. Look who God raised up. Look who God raised up from a place that's known to be a prison cell. He raised up a nation changer. He raised up a history maker. Elijah didn't care where he was from. He knew the word of God. He knew the promises of God for his life. He refused to live in the prison that other people wanted to put him in. He knew where he stood. He knew who spoke through him. He knew what was promised and he knew who he spoke on behalf of. I don't know about you, but I've refused to be held captive by thoughts in my mind. I refuse to be held captive by infirmities that I've experienced. You see, there's this thing that, that it's almost as if God can only use people that have got it together. Hello? I think it's hilarious who God has used over history. Oh, he's hilarious. It's like, you picked him? You picked her? Really? That person? I won't go through the names, but some of the people just in the last century. Somebody who couldn't read or write and was a plumber. You used a plumber? Who's illiterate? It's like, I thought you'd, lose, you'd use someone from Oxford or Cambridge. But you used him? Can anything good come out of that? You used a divorced woman? I won't go through all the names, but some of you will be there, you know. You used her in the 70s to do more miracles, signs and wonders than we'd had for a generation? A divorced woman? Church is still arguing about that stuff today. I mean, dear God, get a life. Get a grip. God can use a donkey. He can certainly use a Melfi. Amen? Amen? Don't, don't see yourself in a prison. Don't see yourself in a prison. Elijah's here in Jesus' name. Now, how about we get the band up? You getting anything out of this? Yeah. Number three, <laughs> you've got you to face the issue, stop believing the lie, but then you've got to know who you are. Got to know who you are. We're not talking about arrogance. That's deadly. Arrogance is a deadly thing. Pride and arrogance, our fall is following. Pride comes before a fall. But we're talking about a confidence in God, not a comparison. See, the only way that the world knows how to think they're awesome is to put somebody else down. Hello? I look better than her, so therefore I'm beautiful. Get the comparison out of life. Family comparison, financial comparison, physical comparison, emotional comparison. No, we've got to know who we are in God, not who we are compared to somebody else. Now, the thing is, we feed this stuff in, you know, just in our society. And the only counter that the world has, and it's gone absolutely belly up, if I can use that expression, it has gone just crazy and that is just tell everybody they're awesome tell everybody they're awesome so all these little kiddies come to school and they all line up on the starting line and they say now I'm gonna I'm gonna clap my hands or I'm gonna say ready steady go and when you're running they run as fast as you can and they run as fast as they can and one that's their gift on their life that's who they are and they hurtle to the other end they've done the hundred meters as a six-year-old in like four seconds it's like boom <laughs> And you know what they say? Ah, oh, you're awesome. 
And then you have the little one at the back who's sort of limping along, can't, can't run, has got no coordination or whatever. And they like do it three days later. They're still like, and the, and the teachers go, you're awesome. I'm sorry, they're not awesome at running. They're rubbish at running. They're rubbish at running. And we're telling the people that can't do it that they're awesome. It's just absurdity. And what that does, that produces in society a superficiality where we can't say it as it is. I've really gone there this morning. I'm sorry. Somebody comes up, I want to audition for the band. We have auditions in the place. So we say, come and audition. And they go, oh, by your spirit I will rise. And we go, oh, that's wonderful. It's not wonderful, it's hideous. It's hideous. You're not getting on the platform with a hideous voice. It's not happening. Can I, can I just say this? Oh, but their heart for the Lord. Let them have a heart for the Lord in silence somewhere. Dear God, sing in the congregation, sing on your own. Please don't let us suffer with it. Gosh, oh gosh, gosh, gosh. It's hilarious. Come on, we're having some fun this morning. But you know what I mean? And the problem is when you say something's awesome and it's not, awesome has lost its credibility. It's lost its credibility. So what happens is we then get into the place where we don't know how to handle conviction. Oh. See, there's condemnation and there's conviction. See, condemnation accuses and beats down. Conviction says, I want to talk about this because there's better. Can I go there a little bit this morning? See, the enemy always brings condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings all sorts of things. Encouragement, strength, edification. But he also brings conviction. But if all we know how to do is to be told we're wonderful, then we're never going to face Ahab, we're never going to grow, and we're never going to be the awesome person that God's called us to be in the area God's called us to be awesome. See, coaching, the Holy Spirit is our coach, scripturally. A coach doesn't say, ha, you're awesome at everything. They say, no, go and do it again. Go and do it again. No, you need to exercise more in that. Oh, but you're condemning me. No, I'm not condemning you. Get a life, get a grip. We're trying to build you to be something better than you. If we just say, oh, that's awesome, and the coach just goes and has a cup of coffee, you never win the World Cup. Why? Because no one's spent time saying we need to deal with this. But there's other people who stand in the bleachers and go, you're rubbish. Boo, go home. That's never the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's never the voice of God. That's the voice of the accuser. You can't lay hands on the sick and they recover. No, you can't lay hands on the sick and they recover. Turn it around. And know who you are in God. See, God wants to bring some conviction. He wants to bring some encouragement. Encouragement and conviction are actually the same thing. Because it's encouragement to be better. To overcome whatever it is you're facing. I don't spend time with God and every time I'm with God, he just goes, you're awesome. You're awesome. Melfi, wow, what a Christian. Woo. That's not, that's not how God talks to me. He says, I want to talk to you about that issue. Why? Because the spirit of life's on the inside of you. You can deal with that part of your flesh and live a better victorious life. I go, yeah, God, talk to me about it. Talk to me about it. But he will always always, always encourage me as to who I am in God. Who I am in God. you get anything out of this today? Know who you 
are. Know who you are. Let's all stand to our feet in this place today. You see, I know who I belong to. I know who I am. There are still times when I want to put the letter in the bottom drawer. There are still times I don't want to go and see Ahab. But the presence of God in this place today wants us to go to a higher place as we live through 2020 and beyond. Not becoming confrontational people, that's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about the fact that we need to be facing things face to face. You see, when you know who you are in God, you can face your Ahabs. When you know (coughs) who you are in God, you can speak to the rain and it will start falling. When you know who you are in God, nothing is impossible for you because you know something good can come out of this. Therefore, God can do whatever he wants to do. You getting that? How we see ourselves is absolutely vital in comparison to the life we're going to live. You see, I know who I am. The Bible says I'm a king. The Bible says I'm a priest. The Bible says I'm healed when the world says you're not. I know that the Bible says I'm delivered and set free when the Bible says I'm bound, when the the world says I'm bound, forgive me. See, I know I'm rescued from sin and death. I know I'm made whole, spirit, soul and body. I know I'm justified, redeemed from the curse, crowned with glory and honour, made alive in Christ, blessed with all spiritual blessings, victorious, made new, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, forgiven, anointed, filled with the Spirit of God, loved by God, a child of God, a friend, a friend of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm a world overcomer. I know I'm prospered and I'm blessed to be a blessing. I know there's no condemnation for me because I'm now in Christ Jesus. I'm led by God. I'm walking in the light. I'm a son of God. I'm an heir of God. I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I'm someone who can trample on all the plans of the enemy. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm God's workmanship in Jesus' name. I'm washed in the blood. I'm dressed in robes of righteousness. I'm clothed with the garments of praise. I'm anointed with the oil of joy to remove burdens and to destroy yokes. I was darkness, but now I'm light in the Lord. I'm complete in Christ Jesus. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm chosen by God. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I'm favoured by God Almighty. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of God's might. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm the workmanship of the Father. I'm one spirit with the Lord. I'm filled with the Godhead. I'm free from fear. I'm free from anxiety. I'm free from poverty. Free from oppression. Free from terror. I'm set free to live the abundant life of Almighty God. I know who I am. Come on, let's give God some praise this morning, shall we? Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. See, God wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know what's available to you on the inside. Come on, with every hand raised in this place. There are people in this room who need to face the Ahab. You need to face the Ahab. That controlling thing that says you're the problem. Stop believing the lie. You're not the problem. He's the problem. Perhaps there are people in this room and you've got to get out from Tishbe, the prison. 
Say, I'm not staying here anymore. I'm not going to dwell in the lie of the enemy any longer. That I'm bound. That that's just me. I, that's just my problem. No, he's the problem. Yes, we got to face the facts. Yes, we got to lay hold of it. Yes, we got to be responsible. But we never live under the condemnation of the enemy. Stop believing the lie. Ah, oh, but it's the facts. The facts say, yeah, yeah. Elijah knew the facts. He'd caused the drought. He'd caused the famine. But he refused to believe the lies of the enemy that said, Elijah, you're the problem. No, he wasn't the problem. I want to encourage you today. You're the answer of your situation. Standing up in Jesus' name. Come on, let's lift our hands in this place. We're here to receive from God here today. To lay hold of that which God has for your life. Lay hold of the answer. Lay hold of the promise. Lay hold of the mentality. Lay hold of, you need to be able to stand up tomorrow morning and say, Melfi's awake. Jones is awake. Ede is awake. Whatever your name is. I'm awake and I'm ready for life. Come on, let's pray in the Holy Ghost just a little bit this morning. The Bible says pray in tongues and that's what we're going to do just a little bit here. God, we receive it in Jesus' name. Right now, God, we take captive every thought in this place. Every thought that's a lie of the enemy. Every thought in Jesus' name and we declare freedom. Freedom from the prison. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom from the doubt. Freedom from the self-doubt. Freedom from saying nothing good can come from my life. In Jesus' name, Father God, we bust out left and right. Lord, we stir up our faith in this place and we declare freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for healing where there's been sickness. Thank you, for Lord, for peace where there's been a storm. Father God, we thank you today. That he who the Son sets free is free indeed. We receive it and we declare your greatness in our lives. Lord, the, John the Baptist said, I must get less that he may get more Father we want you to receive all the glory from our lives by living the life of freedom that you've called us to live Father we thank you for it in Jesus name and everybody said Amen, Amen. Come on let's give a shout of praise you believe you receive something like that.